KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives every weeknight at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and thanks for plugging into your community tonight with us. Coming up on the show, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so I wanted to pass the microphone to our friend Dr. David Derizotis of the Peace and Conflict Studies program up at the University of Utah's College of Social Work. I wanted him to do a special session, and he chose to speak with psychotherapist Stacy Sears about transforming our relationship with death and life during challenging times. That sounds like something you've been going through. Stick around. They've got some great advice and insight to share. And I was going to share my conversation with Maggie's Girls, but I've decided to wait until tomorrow night because Utah musician Inkachi is here. We met her last Friday during Punk Rock Farmer Friday with Aldine, Master Kennedy, and The Energy. She's part of that band. And she happened to mention she's dropping a new single today. And then she said, oh, did you get the other new one that I sent you? So I'm like, all right, we got to make some more room for some fresh and homegrown music with Inkachi and her producer, Sebastian, both in the studio. Thanks for coming down. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. So tell us where your music comes from. Before we crack the mics, you said uh, it has a lot to do with your ancestors these days. Yes. So the song that's dropping today, Got You, is definitely inspired by tribal African music, specifically Afro House. And I really wanted to, so I'm Nigerian and I really connected to my roots and I wanted it to show through my music. So you're Nigerian. Yes. And you've been teaching me how to spell your name because I would not have guessed it. Um, so we'll put links in the show notes so folks can connect to your music and your social media platforms. But tell me a bit more about this first song we're going to share, Got You, and uh, what you want people to walk away with and how it was made with Sebastian. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having us, first off. Uh, this song, Got You, was written and recorded in my bedroom studio. so It's <laughs> the best studio. Exactly. Uh, we're, we're excited to uh, share it with you guys today. Um, like Inka said earlier, we, uh, we tried to get some Afro house and uh, almost sort of tribal roots in the song. Well, she's um, a big fan of EDM and R&B, you were exactly. telling me yes. just a minute ago. So those are some interesting things to mash up. Did you find that it just kind of flowed? I think so. I think I'm my range of music has been everything. Like I dropped a folk song. I've I I love electronic guitar and I love like I love everything. So I had to mash up what I love most together. Well, folks, stick around because I want to find out how these two met, which was Bumble Biz. And I think that's an interesting story and how folks are getting together and collaborating. This first one, though, it's got you. Anything else you want to say before we hit play? Dance it out. Dance it Wipe out. Wipe it out. Exactly. <laughs> got you. You can see on KRCL 90.9.
Got You from Inkachi. Fresh and homegrown on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. This is Radioactive. Brand new music from local musician Inkachi. She's in studio with Sebastian, her producer. And I wanted to know if there's a full album coming out anytime soon. And apparently you have enough. It's just about getting it all wrapped together, Inkachi. Yeah. 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 I, I would definitely, we work together like about every week. And, mm-hmm. and so we're, we're just whipping them out. <laughs> exactly. We're just making music, having fun. Well, and you sent me another one on your way down here, so we're going to share one more tune. But tell me about meeting on Bumble Biz. I've heard of Bumble for dating, but uh, <laughs> matchmaking for DIY creatives. That's I, I like that. Tell me about that. Why'd you give it a whirl? Okay. Well, I so I I didn't know Bumble Biz existed. I just downloaded Bumble, and apparently there's like options to do like <laughs> Biz and then BFF, uh-huh. and so. I was on there. I'm like, I wonder if there's any musicians on here. Yeah. And then I, that's how I met Sebastian. So honestly, I'm in the same exact boat. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, Hey, how can I, uh, get work with some local artists? How can I, you know, actually get some experience producing with people that I want to make music with. And uh, I don't know, it just worked out. Fact, to be. You're currently at the university of Utah, but you've applied to Correct. college of music, Berkeley. Yes, um, I'm planning on uh, pursuing a music production education at Berkeley mm-hmm. um, next year in the spring. But uh, yeah, for now I'm I'm still a Utah student. School Utes. Inkichi, <laughs> what's more about your backstory? I studied theater at UVU, Utah Valley University, and um, I released my first single in 2020. I've been singing in choir and. Doing that whole thing, but musical theater is where I shine. Yeah, yeah. So you're in with Master Kennedy and the Energy. Yeah. Uh, got some gigs in July at Hogswallow Pub, and I'm trying to remember. Th- oh, the other one. Do you remember what it is? Uh, Johnny. Johnny's on second. Maybe? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Check the show notes from Fridays. But when can we expect a full album from Inkachi, produced by Sebastian? What do you think? Oh my goodness. You've maybe. got a SoundCloud up. We'll we'll put that in the show notes for folks too. Maybe like come fall, we'll have everything. Okay. I think that's a good estimate. Yeah. Well, yeah. tell us about this next song that you just sent over, Pending. Pending. Good is it about question. someone in particular? It kind of is. Because there's a line in here. <laughs> you're calling out someone for not knowing, not being good at endings. <laughs> it is about someone. Um, well, Pending was just about someone not having the, eh, to end things properly. Yeah. So, yeah happens <laughs> what about playing out as in Kichi? are you putting together a band maybe on bumble biz maybe on bumble biz hey hit me up on bumble biz i need people to start a band with we have we need an album out soon. <laughs> you, and Master Kennedy. you record the music then you put the band together it's just not uncommon so yeah um anything about this song you want to talk about before we hit play and uh, there's there's a twist in here like i was expecting more kind of the uh the afro house and then there's this raging guitar yeah, yeah so actually shout out to my roommate jackson Knafis. uh he uh slayed guitar on this song so you guys will hear that all right you want to do the honors and introduce it, Inkichi? This is pending on KRCL. Inkichi.
Rock Camp SLC needs musicians, teachers, social workers, activists, and community builders for its summer camp sessions in June and July. Help girls, non-binary, and transgender youth learn an instrument and write a song with their bands. Volunteer details at rockcampslc.org. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow. Spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. Well, Laura, it's uh, wonderful to have a colleague that I've known forever that was really one of my best students ever in the classroom. And now I get to work with in different ways in the community. And that's Stacy Sears, LCSW. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for uh, being part of our program. And if it's okay with you, um, I'd like to just set the stage and then ask you to introduce yourself and we'll go from there. Is that all right? Sure. Thank, thank you. So um, Stacy and I, uh, Laura, for a, a long time have been talking about the relevance of this topic, death, when it comes to you know our business, which is psychotherapy, mental health, community well-being and uh, just recently we were having a conversation about how our old friend death seems to be cropping up not just in the therapy office right Stacy but all over the world all you have to do is turn on some screen that you have and you um, read about or hear about the fact for example that now we have a million deaths at least uh, confirmed from the pandemic since it started in the US. You know, now we have near constant photos, right? And reports about uh, uh, death scenes from the Ukrainian war, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You know, um, we, all, we had some of that growing up. I remember when I was little Dr. Dave, during the Vietnam War, you'd see pictures occasionally, but nothing like this. We, it's almost like you can see the bombs coming in and people exploding. You know, so there's that graphic nature to it. And you know, it's not a TV show, you know, that's fictional. Um, we've got our climate change threat, you know, which threatens the, the lives, maybe uh, not uh, so much in this generation, but of future generations of humanity. We've got, all of a sudden we got nuclear war preparations on the news again, have you all noticed, right? The, you know, Putin rattling the sabers of nuclear war and, uh, you know, all their new weapons of mass destruction. And we hear conversations about that in other parts of the world. And then, you know, um, recently the New York Times has had a series of articles about, um, you know, that death rates have gone up due to homicides in the U.S., due to suicides continues to go up since the pandemic started, as well as uh, deaths from overdose from uh, drugs. So uh, those are just some examples. And, uh, Stacy's agreed to come here to be our guest expert, you know, to help us make some sense about um, how that all impacts us. But maybe even more important, Stacy, you know, um, what kind of a relationship do we actually have with death uh, individually and collectively in this country? And is there anything we can do about that that would uh, help us not deal with death? Uh, when it comes in our own lives, but also deal with the deaths that we are confronted with now. So, um, Stacy, could you first tell us a little bit about what you do <clears throat> in the world uh, for fun and money and fame? <laughs> we know you're a psychotherapist and an LCSW licensed clinical social worker, but tell us more. Um, yeah, so I work with individuals, couples, families. Um, I teach a couple of courses part-time at the University of Utah, and I like to hike and bike uh, in Utah. And I, my latest thing is I like to explore slot canyons. So, um, yeah. Are we talking about like ropes and danger? No. Stacy hanging 50 feet above a dangerous canyon floor or something or what? No, we're talking about peekaboo, slot canyon and places like that. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, why, why this interest in death in your own 
uh, career. I understand that you had to deal with it yourself early, uh, not early on as a child so much, but in, in uh, adulthood. Uh, I think that in a way, um, death has been on my mind all my life. I don't, I don't remember a time that I wasn't thinking that death was out there. I remember my, when my dog died when I was a little girl. I remember when grandma died at 11. Um, but the real, I guess, existential shock therapy happened about 10 years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I just remember vividly thinking after that, diagnosis back to something that I thought in childhood, which is um, all things die and I will die. Uh, maybe not from this, hopefully not from this, but um, just really putting my face and, and me, I mean, all of me into um, the idea of my mortality. And my death, and what is my relationship with my death? So I can hear people thinking maybe or saying now, um, why do we have to talk about this subject? It's so morbid. It's so depressing. Um, but it appears that there's something about talking about death that is just the opposite for you and the people you work with. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that... Um, uh, as you know, Dr. Dave, I'm a big fan of Reverend Yalom, um, and you are the person who turned me on to Reverend Yalom, MD. Um, but I think that what he writes is true, that death is in every session. Death is a visitor in every psychotherapy session. And how does death show up? Death shows up as death. Someone has died. Uh, someone's cat has died, someone's dog has died, someone's spouse has died. Um, it shows up in aging. Um, it, it shows up in how I talk with people about aging. Um, it shows up when people tell me how they feel the, the earth rumble beneath their feet because they have just put together a trust in a will. Um, uh, maybe a, a high school reunion, birthdays, anniversaries. Um, so I, I have come to agree with Yalom that death is, is, is there, is a visitor in every session. You know, I've, I've read in some of the, and I know you have too, because we've talked about this, that in some of the wisdom traditions, there's this advice to, that um, in preparation for my own death, it's useful to uh, die a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean? I, I think that it means several things. Um, to me, it means letting go um, of some of the things that I identify with, maybe little by little. It means acceptance of what is um, and, and what I don't know. Um, but, but I think that letting go and acceptance are are important themes. Well, again, I can hear people saying, um, that's, not, that's not what life's about, right? Aren't, aren't we supposed to collect as many toys as possible? <laughs> and that's how you win the game. Like, why do I have to let go of things to, um, to be okay? Maybe, maybe I can just ignore the fact that I'm gonna die and then finally when it happens, then I'm done. Why do I have to let go of anything? Um, I think that um, back to what I said a couple minutes ago is what is my relationship with my death? Because if, if I don't have a relationship with my death, I might not fully be embracing life. Um, and that's how I think about it. But I also I also take your point though. I mean, why, why do we need to think about death? And death is morbid. And, and in fact, in Yalom's book, Staring at the Sun, he said once he told his friends, his closest friends, what he was writing about, they changed the subject. No one wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Is that, why is that? 
Is that just in the U.S. or do you think people do that all over the world or what's up with that? Well, no, that's a great question. But I know that when I told a few people uh, where I was headed this afternoon to meet with you and our topic, um, the reactions were interesting. I changed the subject. Ugh, why are you talking about that? That sounds cheerful. Um, yeah. And and yet I I have to say that I've had that kind of experience that you're talking about that um, so I, I think there's something in it that when I do um, let go of things um, and that doesn't mean I have to actually give them up but I'm not as attached to them I I don't have to have certain things in my life to be happy you know there is a freeing that happens. And I find that even though it's difficult to talk about the subject of death initially, it might be uncomfortable that um, that, that that sometimes later on that can be um, that there can be a relief from that. Have you had those kinds of experiences too? Yeah, and I sometimes I talk with clients about what life is, and uh, you know, get into these existential conversations. And life is a lot of things. But one of the things that life is, and it's not all that of what life is, but one of the things I think life is, is a series of losses and a series of goodbyes. And I think that we can all do better with our goodbyes and with our losses. T tell us what a healthy way to deal with loss would be. Because I, I think you're right. I, I mean, it starts with birth, doesn't it? it it's kind of... I mean, I don't remember, but I would imagine being inside a mom's a great, you know, it's like I get the food I want. It's really comfy. Probably no one's yelling at me, you know, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm stuck in this world and it's kind of scary. And ah, right. Um, yeah. they're, they're, they're spanking me to try to get me to cry maybe, you know. Um, so is, is there a healthy way to deal with loss? Yeah. I think so. I think um, one of the ways we can deal with it is to confront it. Um, some of the things that we do, um, I, I don't know that um, our running from it and hiding from it helps. I think we can confront death and I think confront loss. And I think it helps our anguish. Um, Sometimes people don't want to talk about death because they fear their own. Well, can we talk about looking right into death and what is it that's so terrifying? Kind of like that idea of staring in the sun, the name yeah. of Yalom's book. Yeah. yeah. Is it terrifying because it's unknown? Possibly. And I think some people worry about an afterlife or not. They worry about their soul. They worry about uh, the worms eating them. Uh, you know, there, there are different worries, but I think helping people come to a place of confronting it is also where, uh, some of the good stuff happens. Does confront it, Stacy, mean um, see it for what it is and accept it? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Can I, can I face death in a friendly way? Can 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 my death or someone else's death be a friend too? In addition to it being morbid and scary. And everything else. How how could I be a friend, have a friendship with my own death? Because you've been talking about having a different kind of relationship, right? With death. So so part of that healthy relationship has something to do with you said confronting it, seeing it for what it is. Um, how does that change the way my life is now? How do I get there? Uh, I think that there are two things that stand out. Um, one is ideas 
I think that that since the beginning of time, obviously humans have encountered death and seen death and known death. And so there's a lot written about death. Um, for years, philosophers and others have written about death. So I think there's a lot of, of power and sort of crunch in the ideas that surround us about death. And I also think um, connection, um, connection, human connection matters a lot. And how am I connected to other people? And am I uh, working on that and involving myself in things and um, engaged in life? So you're saying that um, if I don't deny death, don't run away from it, but accept it, it enhances my motivation to be more fully alive somehow in my relationships and activities and stuff, something like that? Yeah, I do. I do think that's right. And I think that the more I live my life in a fully alive, engaged way, um, that it actually lessens my death anxiety. Um, and, it, and it helps. So I think ideas help. And I think connection helps. I think I think you're right about that. A long time ago, I worked at San Diego Hospice, and I used to ask the people what regrets they had, the folks that were dying. And one of the things that I heard the most was um, a regret that they hadn't somehow fully lived, like they hadn't taken a certain chance that they, you know, they were tempted to take, you know, switch their careers, um, you know, ask somebody out that they were attracted to, um, say something in a meeting. <laughs> um, do, you, do you hear things like that from your clients? Um, yeah, I do. I end up talking a lot about regret in my office. Um, it's one of the major, one of the major themes. And, and I'm wondering so many things around this topic, like, you know, if I'm listening um, uh, to this, I might be wondering, um, should we be talking about these things with children? Isn't that, wouldn't that be upsetting to them? I mean, when, as you know, there's different philosophies about this. I remember reading a long time ago when I was an undergrad in college, you know, some people advised, you know, that you don't talk to children about this because they, they don't even know you're going to die. Uh, and then I remember other people saying, well, that's not true, which I think, I th which I think is accurate. I think children do know, like you, you knew, and I think I did too. I knew that that was going to happen. Um, can we talk with our children about death or do we need to protect them from that till a certain age? Yeah, I think we, we need to talk to them and, and, and we can. Uh, some of the clients I've seen, um, I remember one family in particular uh, who came in because the dog died. The family dog died. And it upset the family so much that um, they've showed up in therapy. And I think that, and, and those, some of those kids in that family were little. Um, and as I was saying, I was very aware, most kids are very young of death. And I think in yet another book of Urban Yalom's Existential Psychotherapy, he talks about um, how we deny children um, proper mourning and grief because we don't allow them, we, we keep them from funerals, we hush hush, we don't talk about it, we don't use the person's name, um, we're afraid that they can't handle it. And there's a wonderful book called Lifetimes and it's a children's book, and it's 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 a death book for children called Lifetimes. Forgot who the author is, but it talks about how we all have a lifetime that we live, and then we and then we die. So I think some people are onto it. That author, for instance, who published this book for children. So give uh, children a chance to talk about how they feel, and. Um you kind of were saying there's a proper way to deal with death that would help them. So that's part of it, it sounds like from what you're saying, is um, is uh, allow them and accept their own process. Um, but I guess I'm wondering like, is there 
a proper way to grieve then. You know, I'm thinking about, um, you and I have talked about this in the past. There's a, um, a series of state, so-called stages of grief, right? Um, Kubler-Ross uh, created years ago. It's been a long time now. Um, is that a, a, a roadmap for this or um, is are there individual differences? Is there cultural differences? Is there are there gender differences? You know, around how we grieve, age differences, right? It seems like um, I, I it seems like I grieve differently than I used to. What do you think? Yeah, um, Ross's template is helpful. One one thing that I um, think about is a conference I went to a couple of years ago on grief and the person hosting the conference said that that was never meant as a linear process. Uh, and yet we've turned it into that. Yeah. That, that template. And so, you know, sometimes people who are grieving feel like they're two steps forward, four steps back. And they, and that's because they may be, they may be experiencing different things at different times, different processes of grief. And it's not a linear exercise. It's not a linear process. You know, I, I agree with that. I, I found that um, I certainly don't go through those stages necessarily, uh, all of them or in any order necessarily, right? So I'm, it's like, whew, I'm glad I'm not doing that wrong. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to share with you, and again, this is something I think you and I have talked about before, uh, and see what your comments might be, you know, for this program. Um, that one of my favorite poems um, that I read, Cesar Chavez, the, um, the farm worker organizer in uh, California, had in his office wall, which just is two lines, my heart is broken open. You know, and um, that always struck me as being really wise. And then, and then there's another poem that I read somewhere. I don't remember who wrote this. That um, the heart is supposed to do two things: pump blood and break. So if you put it together, you know those two poems. It's my heart um, is supposed to break. It can't not break. You know, uh, if I'm a living being, I'll have disappointment. I'll have loss, like we've been talking about but that actually can result in a heart being broken open. Does that make sense to you? And if so, what is the difference between, as a psychotherapist, what's your perspective on this? The difference between an open heart, heart broken open and a heart broken closed. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And I think that death is uh, not just our own death, but the death of another is a, an excruciatingly, um, can be an excruciatingly painful experience. Um, and, and I, your question, I see that in, in, in therapy and I think it has to do with openness and that's not a judgment. That's how open can I be to my grief and to my pain? Um, and maybe some of the work of therapy is opening up to my pain about the loss of someone. I like that. Yeah, I was just in a group this morning where we were talking about this subject and, um, you know, uh, actually with a group of folks that do therapy and, you know, how when we go through our own big losses, you know, what does that do to our ability to work with people. And, and I think most of us said that, I know it's true for me that um, when I have a big loss, um, either anticipatory, you know, anticipating a loss or it's, or it's already happened, I actually can tend to be more present with people, you know? Um, so I think of that when I think of a heartbroken open, does that make sense? It, it makes me, what you're saying makes me think of a, a, a book of poems that I have and I, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the title, but um, a book of poems, and I think it's titled, What Have You Lost? And I noticed in the book, one of the things she, one of the poems is about losing a pencil. And so we lose all kinds of things, but it's particularly 
piercing when we lose someone. So kind of going, going back to, you know, our, our original kind of, you know, uh, idea of like we're in an era where, um, you know, the survival of humanity is, um, seems to be threatened, right? And, you know, by all these different things, and it seems to be happening all at once, right? During the pandemic, you know, there's, um, like the things we mentioned at the beginning, there's, you know, threats of war and there's um, climate change and so on and so forth. Um, um, what, what can what can we take from this kind of conversation we're having here that we can uh, say to folks who are who are um, uh, struggling with um, you know uh, the um, the impact of that you know the impact of what's going on in the world and you know how this seems to be right in our faces you know like Shakespeare said to be or not to be. That's the question. Are, you know, are we gonna? Do we want to stick around? Is is life worth living? Can we do the things we need to do to, you know, not just prosper but just survive as a species? It seems like some of the day to day uh, piece of this of living is uh, human connection. You know, how am I connected? Um, we're wired to connect physically, literally. Um, and how am I connecting to other humans? And, um, you know, typically people report that whether they're in grief or not, maybe they're depressed, maybe they have anxiety, uh, maybe both or something else going on. Um, that connection being with other humans helps. I like that a lot, Stacey. I want to talk about that uh, a little bit more before we're done. But first, just to uh, check in that, that I'm David Derisotis, and we're doing this program on KRCL with Stacey Sears on the subject of death and how it relates in our individual lives and also uh, collectively as humans confronting all these global survival threats that face us today, right? And um, and I really like what you just said, Stacy, about um, connection. Yeah, and how, um, in fact, that's that's my favorite synonym for spirituality, you know, is the, the desire to connect and, um, wanting to feel that way, not just with my deepest self, but with other people. And, you know, like you were talking about earlier with the outdoors and, you know, the whole world and all that. Um, you know, it seems like uh, having this conversation, we we wouldn't want to neglect, um, you know, this idea that um, that we all have different views of what happens when we die, right? And may I ask you what you believe? happens after death. Do you do you believe in past lives or future lives? So bear with me, Dr. Dave. Um, okay. What do I believe? Um, I believe in coffee and donuts. Um, and what I would say to flesh that out is that I've got that much figured out. And I'm not dodging when I say that. Uh, the older that I get, the less worked out I have things than when I was younger. I think that it's a belief and a work in process. Um, past coffee and donuts, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm more uncertain. Um, but I also like and appreciate a lot of what religion has to offer. I think it can be comforting. I think it can be community, offer community connectedness, um, traditions. And so I, I, I say what I say um, a little playfully and also seriously about coffee and donuts while also recognizing that for many people, what you just referred to, spirituality, religiosity, um, does matter a lot. Um, 
And some of my favorite quotes from uh, authors and writers and philosophers about death and other topics um, are, are religious people. So, yeah, yeah. You know, for like uh, 20 years or so, um, I was fortunate to be with a group of people, you know, most of us were therapists actually, um, who uh, did this project called Bridging the Great divide, which is about religion. And we had, we usually had, you know, approximately half the folks in, you know, our monthly meetings, we met monthly for years, you know, open to the public who identified as LDS and half that, that didn't. Some of them had other religions they identified with and maybe some had no religion, right? And I remember one conversation at least where we talked about death and the folks that were highly religious were saying to the people who aren't, how can you live your life um, not knowing that there was anything after your life? Isn't that terrible? And then the people who weren't religious were saying to the folks who were, how can you live your life being worried that if you do something wrong, you might be in everlasting hell, right? And, um, you know, and, and I, I bring that up with you because um, I know you work with folks um, who, some who identify as religious, some who identify as not, right? Um, and I'm curious, um, you know, how do you think about that differently when, you know, when you have clients with different perspectives on all this uh, around doing mental health work? I think, I mean, one of the things I end up talking to people about a lot is um, what would it be like to um, act less uh, from a place of fear? Uh, not that I'm interested in changing someone's beliefs. Beliefs are, are, are core uh, to so many and again the comfort and the community and the traditions but but what if i acted less based on fear what would that look like um and that's a conversation that i end up having fairly frequently with clients i like that conversation too it um you know, and it kind of reminds me of what you were, you know, you're talking about earlier about connection, you know, that um, this idea that some people have that, that the opposite of love is fear, the opposite of fear is love, you know, and that love makes, uh, can result in me feeling more connected, love for myself and other people, other things, other living beings, for the ecosystems that support all life, you know, that kind of thing, um, where, um, uh, whereas fear can make me feel more separate. Um, do you, can you relate to that? Yeah, I think in my own life and in the life of my clients, I think that that is part of what drives people to therapy is fear and loneliness yeah. and, guilt, and guilt and shame. Um, but those, those, those are big drivers for um, showing up for therapy. Well, you you know that uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, right? Yes. And we're we're in May, so it might be useful. You know, people often like to hear so-called tips, right? You know, so along the lines we've been talking about, maybe we can generate some tips for our audience around all this topic. You know, we've been kind of doing that, but. Um, what are some things you would say, for example, to um, folks who are listening, uh, who are, um, uh, uh, you know, wondering, uh, you know, what might be steps that I could take to have a different relationship with death, you know, that might involve psychotherapy or some other form of, you know, self-reflection? A couple of things come to mind. One is to know that death is our destiny. Death is, we're all in this together. Uh, and, and that, yeah, death is our destiny for, for all of us. 
one of the most powerful tools I think we have. And one of the ideals I think of, of living and living well is empathy. Uh, it's a powerful tool to connect uh, to others, to myself. I think it's the glue of human connectedness. Even if I disagree, can I hear you? Can I understand you? Can I empathize? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Using the time I have to um, be fully alive, which means from what you're saying, uh, in part, at least, love as, mm -hmm. as well as I can. I also think yeah. that we do a disservice sometimes by saying that there is no deathbed goodbye, that that is, that those don't happen. I think they do happen. Um, it's happened in my own life with my mother. And I think we can model for people um, how to die and how to do death uh, with courage, with dignity. Um, and I think that's one of the things we can do is when someone is dying, whether that's ourself or someone we love, someone we care about, um, can we go there with them and have a conversation? I like that. Yeah, I, I, I can share that one of, you know, you mentioned the Alam's books, uh, and another text, uh, one that I mentioned in addition that I have found useful is called Graceful Exits, How Great Beings Die by um, uh, uh, someone named Blackman, last name. And uh, I like that book because it talks about ways that people who have worked on themselves their whole life, you know, um, uh, face their uh, death as it gets closer. And, um, and, you know, maybe we can take inspiration from that. It's kind of like how you're saying, right? Yeah. Can we, can we model how to be, and can we, can we be different with illness and death? And, um, you know, I remember walking into the hospital room one day when my mother, my own mother was dying. And I opened the door to her hospital room and she said, uh, come in and put your purse down and come over and sit down, please. We need to say goodbye. Uh, that was really powerful for me. Oh, yeah, I imagine. And it was a gift. It was a great gift that my mother gave me. And it was painful and it was hard and it was excruciating. Uh, but it was also a gift that she, yeah. she took yeah. the time and was very consciously aware of saying goodbye to each of us. Yeah, it does seem, doesn't it, that um, we have some awareness uh, of when we're going to die. Like, um, you know, in, in the last days of our life, we can, people often can sense that. And we might even have some ability to postpone that or fight that if we want to. I remember, I mean, way back when I first started um, in school, you know, learning to be a therapist in San Diego, I, I was, you know, I, I, I was sitting with someone and their family and, and the, I don't remember anything about their names, but the fellow was um, older and he, um, you know, he had, he had held on, I think, dying of cancer and the family was in a lot of turmoil and this had lasted weeks, right? And I just remembered hearing Kubler-Ross talk about, you know, uh, sometimes it helps to have uh, permission from your family to die, you know, and that people hold on because of that. And there was something that he had said that made me think that was true. And so, you know, not being sure how to do that because I just had heard that, but feeling like I should do something, I brought that up with the family and they went, all went in, took turns and said, it's okay to die, dad, it's okay to die, grandpa. And then he did. And it, I still get chilled down my back thinking about it, you know, that, um, and I, you know, I, I had a class right after that. I had to go back up to school at San Diego State. And I brought it up in my practice class. And the teacher said, oh, that's very interesting. Does anybody else have anything interesting to say that happened for them? You know, and I got the message that this is a really uncomfortable topic. Let's not talk about it anymore. You know, but it was so profound for me that I needed to bring it up, you know, and 
uh, but I remember it wasn't it wasn't okay in the class to bring up any any reactions to that story? Yeah, I think it reminds me of of today in the last couple of days when I you know told people I was meeting up with you and we were going to talk about death. You know, change the subject. Yeah. Oh, why are you talking about that? Yeah. You know, interesting reactions. None of them positive. None of them. Yeah. Wanting to talk I mean, I, about it. I, I don't fault the teacher, you know, because I'm sure they never had that happen before in a classroom. Right. Being a teacher myself, so I have empathy. But, um, but yeah, it really, it was a profound moment for me. And it's kind of sad we couldn't make space for it yet, right? And, and I wanted to share with you a couple other stories, too, to see your reactions. You know, I, I've had some close friends that have had close encounters with death who I trust a lot, you know, and uh, they've told me trippy things. And I wonder um, what how you make sense of it. Like I had a good friend, you know, he and I were in the generation that were being drafted for the Vietnam War. And my friend Brent ended up with a low draft number and he went, he was studying to be a paratrooper. I guess is what you call it, studying. Long story short, he was practicing a parachute jump and his parachute didn't open. He didn't know there was a hook that would catch him. And he said before that hook caught him right before he hit the ground, he didn't die. He had his whole life flash before him. He said, just like you hear about. And that really amazed me, you know, because Brent would never have made that up. He was not a very religious person. He's very skeptical of things like that, but he said it actually happened. And I also think about another friend I have, uh, whose name was also Brent, who um, who died on uh, on a, in the hospital for a minute clinically. You know, his heart stopped uh, because of heart failure, and he said he he experienced himself floating up above, you know, the bed, just like he had read that people do. And he said the most profound thing was he said that was the one moment in my life where I wasn't anxious, you know. And I just thought both of those things were really interesting, you know, coming from people who were skeptical that anything like that would happen. How do you make sense of things like that? I think, uh, I think there's plenty of that out there. And I think that there are cases in journals and books and certainly on the internet where um, people claim to, to not be believers in a God in an afterlife and then have an experience um, where they face their mortality and they had something happen in that experience and they feel differently. Yeah. About, about life, about death, about their beliefs. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, Stacy. Yeah, and perhaps that's kind of what we're talking about today, isn't it? That, uh, as you call it, facing death, you know, accepting it can have a, pro a profound impact on my life you know, because it um, kind of awakens me to the fact that I'm alive <laughs> and that time is limited. Is that how you look at it? I do look at it that way. And I think that, um, you know, as, as the Stoics said, I think that learning to live well is learning to die well and the other way around. Uh, I like learning yeah. to die well is learning to live well. I like that. A lot, actually. Well, we, we only have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that there, um, if there are other things that you wanted to talk about or bring up that we might have time uh, uh, to hear you talk about them, you know, related to this subject. Um, maybe things you'd like to say to folks that are listening. You asked a couple of minutes ago about um, sort of day-to-day -day things that might be helpful uh, the other the other piece of this that comes up for me is that I keep thinking about is, and I got this from Yalom, um, is this idea of rippling. And it's a key concept and idea. And I think talking about death, thinking about death is, you know, how, how has my life experience, my character, any wisdom that I might have, any guidance, any comfort, in, in those things in any of us, how will those things uh, remain in others? Like, you know, I go down to Sugar House Park and I throw a rock into the pond and it ripples. And there are these little waves that come out. And 
that metaphor of how do I ripple into other people when I'm not here? And uh, I think that's a beautiful, um, a beautiful thought. I do too. And I think it's really pertinent to our topic today um, because as you know, so many of us feel that we're powerless to do anything about the major issues that challenge us, you know, um, especially the big ones globally, you know, and realizing that, um, yes, maybe I, I'm not going to speak in front of Congress next week, but, but everything I do can have a ripple effect that can uh, change the world. Yes. Do you, do you believe that? I do. I do. And I find, you know, I, I used the word comforting and comfort earlier, and I find that idea of rippling uh, comforting. I, I, I do too. Yeah. And perhaps this is a great place to uh, end today. Uh, I want to thank uh, you, Stacy, Stacy Sears, LCSW psychotherapist and you know, for those of you that don't know what a LCSW is, it's a licensed clinical social worker. And uh, also thanks to KRCL for being willing to uh, have programs with topics like this uh, that um, we provide to the public. So uh, Stacy, take care and thank you again. Welcome, we'll do. Dr. David is in conversation about death and life in challenging times with Stacy Sears. Check tonight's show notes for a link to Dr. Dave and also to Inka Chi, who came down and shared her new music with us earlier this hour. I'm Laura Jones, and that is our show. Questions, comments, suggestions? You can email us, radioactive at krcl.org. Coming up on the show tomorrow night, Rashawn Leak will be the community co-host, and we'll get that conversation with Maggie's Girls Foundation that I promised. But Rashawn will be talking with local activist and advocate Kenny Akers. Stick around for their one-on-one -on -one tomorrow night. Wednesday, Nick Burns is community co-host with conversations about the environment and arts and culture. Thursday, we pass the mic to grassroots activists. And if you've got a story to share, email us, radioactive at krcl.org. Have a great night and thanks for listening. Democracy Now! is next. KRCL, Salt Lake City. KRCL would like to say thank you to AMD Architecture, The Stateroom, and Utah Metalworks for issuing challenge grants during our spring radiothon. We'd also like to say thank you to our listeners for helping support us as well.